turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll get there here in a moment. We're going to continue today in our series that we've been in for the last four or five weeks, entitled God's Prescription. And the big idea is this, that there are an increasing number of opinions and prescriptions that the world has to offer about how to do life about how to do marriage, about how to do family, about how to manage money, about how to do sexuality, about all the things that are important to God. There are a varying and increasing number of opinions in the world, prescriptions that the world has to offer. But what we're digging into is what does God's word have to say? What's God's prescription for all those areas that matter to God and so they should matter to us? And we've dug in to say, what's God's prescription for power, a relationship with the Holy Spirit? What's God's prescription for peace? That the world, the Bible says, has a, a measure that it can offer, but it's fleeting and it's circumstantial. And Jesus said, but my peace is abiding. Jesus said, my peace I leave to you, not as the world gives. I leave a peace that is, is, is abiding and transcends your circumstances. It goes beyond what you can even imagine. We're digging into what God's word has to say about God's prescription for success, that maybe God wants to redefine how you see success and help you to discover a life of significance in God. We talked about God's prescription for America, and it took us to the book of Nehemiah where we find one man who, who answered the call of God and began to begin to be grieved by the condition of his culture, his city, his nation, and how Nehemiah began to, he knelt and prayed. He did three things. He knelt down and he prayed. And, and, and he, he sat down and he wept, and then he stood up and he began to move and he began to act and how God used one man to bring about a restoration and a revival to an entire culture. Today, we find ourselves picking up the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8, and I want to talk to you today about God's prescription for strength. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find a verse that many of us know, many of us can recite, but few of us maybe know the context from which it's found. And so we'll get there here in about 10 verses down into the chapter, but let's pick up Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And as we're reading this today, I want to encourage you with something. Notice how it sounds a lot like what we do in church. I mean, really, as we're reading through this, just be encouraged. It's really pretty cool to see it all kind of come to life in the Bible, even from the Old Testament several thousand years ago. How what the people of God are doing is they're gathering together in the house of God as the people of God, digging into the promises of God. Just watch how even several thousand years ago, it sounds a lot like what we're doing right here today. All right? So just watch for that as we're reading. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Check it out. It says, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, the Bible, the word of God, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So catch this, I love the specificity of this. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly. Before we read on, anyone, we have any October 8th birthdays in the room this morning? Anyone born on October 8th? Let me see your hand, raise your hand. Is there someone back there? I see that hand back there. Come on, who is that? Give them a hand, whoever that is. I can't see because of the lights. Hey, stand to your feet. October 8th birthday, stand to your feet right there. I want to, come on, we want to, I want to see you. Are, you. are you willing to stand? Come on, we got to do something for them. Put your hands together for them one more time. Tell them, tell them what she's won. <laughs> I did this in first service. There was one person as well, and I gave them free coffee from the cafe. I don't know if it's still open out there, but one way or another, get yourself a free coffee. Just tell them, Pastor T said coffee's on him. So on October 8th, which is obviously not the date that they would have ascribed to it, but it's the date that kind of translates to our calendar, it says that Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly. 
which included the men and women and all the children that were old enough to understand. I don't know if that means they had kids ministry for the little tykes, but I'm sure they had to do something with them. So, I mean, can you see this? I mean, they're having some church in the Old Testament. And it says that he faced the square just inside the water gate from the early morning until about noon. Come on, doesn't that sound like church? We go in early morning and hopefully you get up by noon. <laughs> and read aloud, you're, there's no chance you're getting up by noon today, by the way. <laughs> and read aloud to everyone who could understand and all the people listen closely to the book of the law. Come on, listen to what God has to say to you today. Listen closely, listen intently. This, this is not just a book. This is the very word of God. It's the heart of God for you. And it says they were listening intently. They were listening closely. Reading on verse 4, it says, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made, that had been built for the occasion. It says Ezra stood on that platform in full view of all the people. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose and stood to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted. They shouted, amen, amen, as they lifted their hands. Come on, it sounds like they were a charismatic church. It's okay to kind of talk back to me. Come on, if, you, if God's stirring your heart, it's okay for you to say amen. Come on, that's, in church, that's a way to say, come on, I agree with that. That's, that's, that's the truth of God right there. And it says they were lifting their hands and, and shouting amen, responding to the message that was being preached. It says they were bowing down and worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. Reading on verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained what the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand every passage. Verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites, who were interpreting for the people, said to them, Do not mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. Catch this. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. In other words, as God's standard, as God's heart, as God's word, as God's way was being preached, they had realized the error of their ways. And the Holy Spirit was convicting them and drawing them back into alignment with God's blessing. Listen, everything in this book is written for your blessing and for your good. The things that God commands you to do, the things that God warns you about, the things that God prohibits in your life, everything is because of the heart of a good father. He knows better and he's trying to connect you to and get you to the very best future that he has for you. What we know is that the city had been in ruins just a few chapters before. In fact, I think in chapter 6, you can find 52 days earlier is when Nehemiah had entered into the city and began to rally people around a vision and around a cause to bring restoration to the walls and rebuild the culture. And in chapter 7, right before this chapter, you see all the people beginning to return because they had been exiled, they had been sent out, and the city had been rebuilt, the temple had been rebuilt, but the people weren't living there, and they'd come back into the city, and now they're coming to church again. They're coming back to the house of God. And they were hearing the words of God, and it was causing them to realize we've strayed from God. And I'm telling you, we need a spirit of repentance to be restored in the house of God. A spirit that hears the heart of God and the word of God and doesn't take it casually or lightly, but it moves our heart to want to begin to live differently. Jesus is a God, we talked about it last week, whom the Bible says is full of grace and truth. We encounter him through his grace, but then he challenges us to go and sin no more. And the people were hearing the word of God, and it says that they were weeping, but read on. It says in verse 10, or actually picking up in verse 9, Nehemiah says, don't mourn or weep. This is a sacred day. 
for the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. And now verse 10, Nehemiah is dismissing the church service, basically is what he's doing. And, and Nehemiah, it says he continued and he said, now go and celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drinks. Come on, who's going to lunch after this? And it says, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. In other words, he's saying, come on, invite someone to go with you. And if you have teenagers like we do, you're always inviting someone to go with you who does, hasn't prepared food for themselves, you know? And he says, go and eat and, and celebrate what the Lord is doing in your life. Even in the moments where there's a spirit of conviction, even in the moments where you realize the error of your ways, it's because God is a good God and he's, he's connecting you to his best plan and the brighter future that he has for you. He said, go and celebrate this and read on. It says, this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Here's the verse that we all know. Here's the verse that made it onto the refrigerator magnets. Here's the verse that's been crocheted onto pillows. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, tell them, hush, don't weep. This is a sacred day. This is a good day. This is a good thing that God's doing in your life. This is good that he's revealing and reminding you of some things to get you back on track towards knowing him and serving him and, and going towards his call and his plan and his future for your life. And it's, it says, so the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy. Somebody say great joy. Because they had heard God's words and understood them. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want to talk to you today about God's prescription for strength. God desires for you to stand strong, to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord. In fact, the Bible is very clear. The, the command, be strong and courageous, is one of the most frequent commands of God. Be strong. Be courageous. If you look up the word strong or strength in the dictionary, it says this, the capacity for physical or mental accomplishment or endurance. I think they missed one thing. You could insert spiritual. For mental, for spiritual, for physical accomplishment and endurance. One of the second or third definitions as you look at that word strong is the power and ability to resist an attack. In other words, God's saying, I want you to be strong, stand strong, be strong and courageous. I want you to be equipped and empowered to go and to advance, to accomplish some things physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I also want you to be so strong and strengthened and aware of who you are and aware of who God is that you can resist the attacks and the schemes of the enemy that are coming against your heart and are coming against your mind and are coming against your marriage and are coming against your family and are coming against your teenagers and are coming against your schools and are coming against your community and are coming against your nation. He said, I want you to be strong. Come on, God wants you to be strong. Jesus didn't come and die and lay down his life and raise again in a victory, eternal victory, to create an organization of a bunch of mealy mouse pansies. I mean, come on, we're, 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 not, we're called to be humble, but, but humility is, a, is important in the life of a believer because of the boldness that God wants us to operate in. And he says, be strong, stand strong, be strong and courageous. First Corinthians 16, 13. Go to the New Testament, it says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Say, be strong. be strong. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, a final word. In other words, it's the capstone on the book that Paul has written to the church that resided at the location called Ephesus. And he says, a final word. He's putting the capstone on the letter. He's saying, I got one more thing that I want to tell you, and it's significantly important. And what was it? He said, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, say his power, his power. And his power, not my power, not, not, not what I can do in my own strength, 
He said, a final word, I got one more thing to say to you, and you need to learn how to be strong in the power of the Lord. God's prescription for strength is joy. Listen, I think this message is one of the messages that is most timely and desperately needed in the culture of our day. I mean, come on, with everything that we've been through and are going through and the culture wars and all this stuff, I mean, come on, some of us, who needs to be reminded about the joy of the Lord in your life? Who needs to reconnect? Who's maybe been operating in a deficiency of joy besides me? Maybe this is a timely reminder for you that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you're not operating in the joy of the Lord, you're operating in a weakened, vulnerable condition. His joy. The joy of the, of who? The Lord. His strength, his mighty power. In Philippians 4, verse 1, Paul's writing to Philippi, and he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long for and I, and I love, my, my joy and my crown. And he says, stand firm in the Lord. In this way, somebody say this way. Just a few verses later, we begin to see the way that he's talking about. Verse 4, chapter 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord Always. Somebody say always. always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Somebody say, say it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Did you know that God rejoices over you? Amen. Did you know that contrary to popular religious belief, God is not in a bad mood? <laughs> He's not grumpy. He's not angry towards you. Did you know that he rejoices over you? Well, watch what the Bible says, Luke chapter 15. Jesus, it says in verse 3, told them a story. He was always telling stories and speaking in parables to help people understand. When you're reading the Bible, Jesus is telling stories and telling parables to help us understand who he is and, and what, what's possible in our life and what the kingdom of God is like. And it says he's telling them a story. In verse 4, it says, if a man has a 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Come on, who's grateful that God left the 99 and came to found you besides me? I mean, come on, I'm so thankful. <laughs> Woo! And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home upon his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Catch this, in the same way. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and turns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And reading on, same chapter, verse 8, Jesus is doubling down on this. And any time in the Bible where something is repeated, it's, it's for added emphasis, and oftentimes it's because God realizes that it's of critical importance for us to understand in our life. And so he just told one story, but watch, he saw fit to tell another one. Watch, it's, it, it mirrors the first story, verse eight. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Listen, have you ever lost something that was really important to you? I mean, really, <laughs> someone said every day. <laughs> God, I just pray for their marriage right now and for his wife in Jesus' mighty name. I'm telling you, my wife has a way, I mean, I... I <laughs> I'm blaming you if this story doesn't, if this story backfires on me, Eric, because you're the one that caused me to. My wife has a way, man. I'm like, I go to the refrigerator and I'm looking for the ketchup or the whatever, you know, and I'm like, babe, I, don't, I can't find it. And she like is like wrangling a kid and cooking the meal or whatever. And somehow she like with her foot opens the refrigerator door and points at the ketchup that I can't see with my own eyes, you know. Have you ever lost something that's important to you? And I mean something where you looked, 
not just look once, but you continue to look, and you continue to look, and you had your eyes peeled, and you continue to look. Maybe it was something of great value, or maybe something that was kind of trivial, but just was important or special to you. You know, something that someone gave to you. And looked, and looked, and looked, and looked, and looked, and how many of you have ever found that thing weeks or days or months later or whatever, and you remember the feeling? Oh, I found my lost AirPod or earbud or my lost whatever it was, the trinket or the thing or the ring. I found it. Have you ever lost something that's important to you? You know, what I, what I, what I like is when people show up and try to help you look for it. <laughs> They're never any help, are they? I mean, really, think about it. When someone shows up and they're trying to help you look for something, what's the first thing they ask? Well, do you remember the last place you had it? <laughs> well, if I knew that, that's where I would probably be, looking for it. That's no help to me. Like, when you ask that question, it's like, oh, yeah, that's where I lost it. I'm going there to get it right now. So this woman has lost a silver coin. Verse 8 continued. It says, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Yes, she will. When she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me for I've found my lost coin. Catch this. In the same way, there is joy. Somebody say joy. joy. In the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. In the same way, God rejoices over you. I mean, I'm telling you, if you've put your faith, I mean, today, these precious people being baptized, man, you should have seen the party they were throwing in heaven. And it's still going. And tomorrow, it's still going to be going. And in the middle of the week where you blow it spiritually, it's still going to be going. Because what happened back there was not about you. It was about him. It wasn't dependent on you getting your life all cleaned up and straightened out and straightened together. And you don't get good to get God. You get God, and then maybe you start to get good because of his influence on your life. He rejoices over you. Man, who needs to hear that today? He rejoices over you. God isn't asking us to do something. He isn't doing himself. Philippians 4 verse 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Say always. always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. Really, Pastor T, always? You mean when I got to do that thing or when I got to deal with that person? Always? James 1, 2 through 4 Blows our mind even more. Watch what he says. Consider it pure joy. Like we needed to add an adjective to it. <laughs> pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you what? Face trials of many kinds. What? <laughs> but thankfully you can read on. Don't put, a, don't put a period where God puts a comma. And it says, because you know that the testing of your faith is producing perseverance. And perseverance will finish its work. Let it finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it a joy, God, when I'm going through a trial. Yes, because you got to know that God sees the end from the beginning. You are in one chapter of the story of your life. God knows where he's getting you to. 
So he says, when you're going through something, you can look up and you can rejoice because you can understand that what you're going through today has a purpose and an assignment and a mission, and it's working something out in your life, and it's developing a strength to persevere and to stand and to move in faith that you're going to need when the page turns and the chapter changes and the next story begins to be written in your life. He said, even when you're going through a trial, you can have joy. Count it pure joy. Easy to say, hard to do. Especially if you try to do it in your own strength. But thankfully, we don't have to do it alone. And the joy that we apprehend in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the test, is the joy of who? Man, I'm going through the trial. I'm going through the test. It's a setup. Your setback is a setup for God to show up. You cannot even get, you can't even spell testimony without test. And he says, count it a joy when you're going through those things because I'm doing something in your life. I'm about to show you a little bit more about who I am, how good, how faithful, how powerful, how amazing I am in your life. If you'll just continue to rejoice even in the midst of the test. Listen, do you know that in your life you don't oftentimes get to determine the things that you encounter, the things that happen to you, but you always get the opportunity to determine what you call it? That, let me say that again. In your life, you will not have the opportunity to always determine the things that you go through, but you will always have the opportunity to determine what you will call it. Same circumstance, same test, same trial. One person calls it one thing, you get the opportunity to call it another thing. What do you mean, Pastor T? Well, the world would call that a failure. But I know that the righteous person stumbles seven times and he gets up and keeps moving again. So I'm calling what, what the world might call a failure, I'm calling a learning opportunity. I saw the title of a book recently. I thought it was brilliant. It said, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I thought, oh, that's good. You don't get a chance to always determine what you go through in life. You always, 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 always have the opportunity to determine what you will call it. And what the world would call an embarrassment, you forgot to wear your pants to the Zoom meeting. <laughs> you get a chance to say, Lord, thank you for a lesson in humility and empathy. <laughs> your weakness, come on, the area that's weak in your life. Oh, the struggle. The thing that is like what the Apostle Paul said, he said, I, I, I don't want to do that thing, but I keep doing that. And the things I want to do, oh, I'm struggling. And the world will say, that's a weakness. The Bible recharacterizes it and says, in my weakness, he is strong. My weakness is an opportunity for his grace and his glory to be put on display. My mistakes, the world would say, man, that was a mistake. They made a mistake. They really blew at that time an opportunity, a canvas for God's grace. Delay something that you thought was going to happen or would have happened or should have happened in your life already because you've been praying about it. Amen? Delay a season of preparation. Thank you, God, that you know better than me. You know who I'm supposed to be married to and when. Ooh, come on. That just got real for someone right there. You know when I'm supposed to get the invitation, the opportunity, the whatever it is, 
delay, I mean, it's a season of God's preparation. Disappointment, disappointment, God's protection, and his better plan connection. Trials, troubles, tests, an opportunity for a testimony. I said it earlier, bears repeating, you can't even spell testimony without tests. Jesus knew that the issues of life would try to steal your joy. There would be things you would go through, again, that you don't oftentimes to get to the opportunity to determine. But you always, it bears repeating, you always get the opportunity to determine what you will call it. The world will call it one thing. God will call it something else because he is in the business of redeeming something and using it for his purposes and his glory in your life. That's why the Bible can say, count it a pure joy when you're going through some stuff because I'm right there working it out for you. Jesus knew, John 16, verse 22, he said, therefore, now you have sorrow, but I'll see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Oh, come on, man. There's the deeper your source of joy. Oh, I'm already, I'm preaching my third point. I got to just jump into points one through four. We'll get there here in a moment. Circumstances will change. Happiness will come and go. Joy, joy trumps happiness. Happiness is an emotion that's tied to external circumstances. Joy is something of that is, is a result of awareness, a revelation, a, a grasping onto, an anchor of faith that you know that you have, that God loved you so much that he wouldn't leave you in your sin, that he sent his only son, that he's with you and for you. He won't leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you. There's a joy that comes. That's the joy of the Lord. It's not tied to your bank account. It's not tied to how many likes you get on the social media post. It's not tied to what they think or what they say. It's tied to who you know and who you know you are because of who you know. That's the joy of the Lord. Man, and when you get that, when you get that, man, you're, come on, there's a strength that you're going to begin to discover. Maybe like you've never had before. Some of you maybe are tripping over some things or stumbling over some things or struggling in some things or doubting for some things or, 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 or maybe there's a scheme of insignificance, there's a scheme of whatever it is, fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, and I'm telling you, when you get a revelation of the joy of the Lord that's not dependent on external circumstances, what they say, what they think, all those things I just mentioned, there's the strength that you're going to begin to find. Woo! To begin to do and be and to move forward and to, again, resist the attacks, the schemes. Strength, the capacity to physically, mentally, or spiritually advance or accomplish something, and the ability to stand against and resist an attack. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, just say it. The joy, the joy of the Lord, the Lord is my strength. my strength. All right, four ways to walk in joy. Number one is you got to value it. You got to value it. You got to understand that it's significant. You got to understand that it's not an emotion tied to a feeling, tied to a circumstance, because everything just kind of aligned for you that day. And people complimented your new sweater that you wore, and, and you made all the green lights going down Sixth Street, headed to work. And I mean, I'm just telling you, if that's what it's dependent upon, look out, you're in trouble. You got to value it. It's significant. I'll make a powerful statement Jesus needed joy to fulfill his purpose. And if Jesus required joy to fulfill his purpose, how much more will you? What do you mean, Pastor T? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him, he, speaking of Jesus, endured the cross. Did you know that Jesus didn't want to go to the cross? Did you know that he cried out to God and he said, God, if there's another way that we can work this thing out, I'm okay with that. We can find plan B. I'm not necessarily looking forward to that. 
God's answer was not to change the plan. God's answer was to give him a sense of significance and purpose that caused him to have a joy that he would have on the other side of the difficult season. You get that in your life, a sense of significance and purpose. You're, you're going through a difficult time raising your kids. You're going through a difficult time paying off the debts and balancing your budget. You're going through a difficult time with the diet and the exercise. I mean, whatever it is for you, you're going through a difficult time. Let the joy of the future thing, the blessing, the prosperity, the advancement, the thing on the other side, it's what allowed Jesus to endure the difficult season. If Jesus needed it, how much more will you? For the joy set before him. And it's, always, it's not always easy to show up and to speak up and to submit yourself and to say I need help with my marriage, with my family, I mean, whatever it is. But for the joy, man, I'm just telling you, for the joy set before you, Jesus endured. I mean, when he was going to that cross, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you and he was thinking about eternity and he was thinking about heaven, and he was thinking about a family, and he was thinking about relationship, and he was thinking about sin and death and the grave being defeated, and he was thinking about that moment where the difficult season, the hanging on the cross, would allow him the access to go to the depths of hell and take the keys back and give them to us. He was thinking about all those things. Listen, when you're going through a difficult season, find the grace to think ahead to the blessing or the thing that God is trying to deliver you to. And it'll see you through. Value it, value it. If Jesus needed it, so will you. Number two, protect it, protect it, protect it. Listen, you protect what's important to you. You guard what's valuable to you. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, in other words, all the other things that you would think to guard, to lock, to secure, what are those things in your life? Your kids, your home, your family, your vehicles, your fire, I mean, all those things that are important to you that you lock, you secure. He says, above all those things, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. Maybe some of us could use an alarm on our heart to cause us to understand or see or discern the moments or times or seasons where there's a scheme of disappointment or discouragement that's attacking our life in an effort to steal our joy. Because again, when you're not operating in the joy of the Lord, which again, in all seasons, at all times, rejoicing in the Lord, you're operating in a weakened condition. You're vulnerable to the schemes and attacks of the enemy. You rarely wake up in full-blown depression and despair. You get there with unchecked disappointment and discouragement. Unhealed dis- disappointment and discouragement. And maybe we need an alarm. I-, I was reminded of this because a few days ago we had a plumbing issue back in the back hall in the kids' wing here. A pipe had come undone and water was everywhere. We were back there. It was kind of all hands on deck. We were vacuuming it up and we were mopping it up and we were, we were sopping it up and... And, and there was a, a, the kids' exit right here, kind of on the, the west side, going out to the northwest side. And one of the folks said, hey, Pastor T, can we open that door and, and dump the, the wet vac out this door? Because it says right here, emergency exit only, do not open alarm will sound. And I said, well, let's find out, you know, because we're definitely not taking this thing all the way through the church five or six times or whatever. And so we pushed the door open, and sure enough, the alarm's, I mean, the, you don't want to hear the sound. And that was a very weak attempt to tell you. <laughs> That sounded scary. No robber away right there. <laughs> it was louder than that. It was menacing. And I, thankfully, I was able to just disarm it. And we were able to use that door to, um, to, you know, empty out the wet vac as we were cleaning up the mess. 
And here's the thing, there's a lot of doors. There's a lot of doors right here that aren't armed with that kind of technology, that kind of, that kind of announcement. There's a lot of doors you can open right here that aren't gonna make that kind of announcement. But in our kids' wing, woo, those kids are precious and valuable to us. Someone wants to try to get in that wing, we're gonna find out about it, we're gonna hear about it. If one of those little kids wants to try to break free and you, know, you get out in a little escapee from the toddler's class or whatever, and, and he bolts down that hall, he or she, and goes out that door, come on, that sound is gonna come on, we're gonna know about it because you protect and you guard what's most valuable to you. Value, joy, and protect it. Above all else, guard your heart. It's also reminded a few years ago, actually it was more than that now, we were moving, it's 2012, in fact it was New Year's Eve 2012. And we were moving to, to Brownsville, Texas, from Abilene, Texas. We were moving from Central Texas to Deep South Texas, where I had accepted a position, an opportunity to go and be the praise and worship pastor and the small groups pastor for a wonderful church called Good Shepherd Community Church. Hey, shout out to GSCC and all, all my peeps in South Texas. And so we were moving down there, and you know, we loaded up everything we had in the big 35-foot U-Haul, and we moved 550 miles to the south, about a nine-hour drive. In Texas, you don't measure things by miles, you measure it by time. How far, how, how far away is it? Well, about nine hours. And we rolled into town on New Year's Eve and we pulled into the office where the lady had arranged to meet us and hand us the key to our rental house that we had rented. And, and we, we got the key and we went and we unpacked for the day. We were all tired at the end of the day and it was New Year's Eve night. And, and down there they shoot fireworks on New Year's Eve night like it's the 4th of July, man. And I mean deep into the night, like the party's just getting started at 1 a.m. How many, I mean, you, Eddie and Beth live there, they know it's true. And so we're tired from a long day and boom, boom, these big mortars are going off outside our house, you know, and everything. And that night, as I had locked up our house and prepared to put everyone to bed and go to bed, I, I, I set the alarm in the house, and I locked the deadbolt, and I thought, I wonder who else has this key? Because I wanted to change the key, but we had gotten in on a holiday, and I just, I thought, hmm, I wonder who has this key? And, and I wasn't deathly afraid or anything. I just had, I just made an observation. I was like, there's probably some other people that have this key. I think as soon as I can, I'm going to go change it. But in that moment, you know, I mean, that was, so it was in my mind a little bit, but in that moment, I just prayed over my house and, and, and just blessed the house and prayed God's protection over it and went and got my gun and my baseball bat. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, you, if you came in that house that night, you were going to have to deal with Jesus and me, I'm telling you. <laughs> me and, and my friend Smith and Wesson. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I had a baseball bat, and I was coming at you with two hands that night. So 3 a.m. in the morning, the worst time that this could happen, literally the dead of night, the alarm in that house, the burglar alarm in that house starts to go off, and I mean, they had invested in a good one. <laughs> it was piercingly loud, and so, I mean, obviously, what do you do? I mean, your first night in the house, and you had that thought the night before, who has this key? And so I bolted up, and I mean, I was prepared to, to face someone, and I was prepared to introduce them to Jesus. <laughs> so I went through the house, and I mean, you know, your heart's beating. It's like, man, I'm a, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a man, but I mean, I'm, I don't mind telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about what's around that corner. <laughs> search through all the house, search through all the closets, Search through, you know, I mean, you, you know how you do all those things in those kind of moments. You look behind the shower curtains and everything. It's like, they're not hiding in the shower. They're not taking a shower. <laughs> After I'd gone through all the house, I noticed that the plug 
for the alarm system had kind of backed off and come undone. You know how sometimes they even put a little hole so you can screw it into the center to keep, it from ha- to keep this from happening? It had kind of backed off and become disconnected, and so the alarm system had begun to use the battery backup, and it exhausted that battery. And so when that battery went completely dead, the system goes off to alert you that your system is about to cease functioning. So I was able to just plug it in. Come on, there's a whole other message right there that will preach about needing to be connected to the source. But the point today is that you protect what's important. You protect what you value. And we got to value joy because it's the strength for your life. It's the strength for your life. Man, who, maybe, who, who needs to understand today that alarm that's going off in your life is, is God trying to tell you there's a season of disappointment or discouragement that if you don't deal with it, if you don't get up and come on, take your spiritual baseball bat to that thing. Because you're going to be discouraged in life. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's like, keep it positive. Keep it positive, Pastor T. I'm positive you're going to be discouraged in life (laughs) at some point. I'm positive. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. You can afford to be discouraged, but you cannot afford to stay discouraged. It's why you need the people of God, the presence of God, the praises of God, the prayers to God. You need to be active. You need to understand, don't let a season of discouragement or disappointment cause you to become isolated or get you on the track because disappointment and discouragement breed depression and depression breeds despair. And you don't need to get to despair. Why is all that happening? Because the enemy knows better than you do that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you, regardless in all things, every season can be operating in the joy of the Lord, come on, you are going to be positioned to stand strong. Someone ought to say amen. Amen. His strength. Number three, secure the source. You gotta value it, you gotta guard it, you gotta protect it, you gotta secure the source. Galatians 5 verse 22 is telling us about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You remember them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There are no laws against such things. And, And it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I know it's talking about the evidence, like the fruit is the evidence. But I think there's something you can take from kind of running with that word fruit. Here's Because here's what I understand about fruit. Fruit is perishable. Fruit is perishable. You, you, you got to have today's joy. You, you got to go spend time with the Lord for today's self-control. Fruit is perishable. You can't face today's challenges. You can't raise today's kids. You can't do all the things that God's called you to do on last week's. Fruit is perishable. You can't live in daily victory with a weekly dose of God. Every day, every, are you telling me, are, what are, are, Pastor T, are you telling me that every day I need to spend time with God? Yes. yes. Secure the source. The source is Jesus. John 15, he said, I'm the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I and you, you can bear much fruit. Somebody say much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a comparative statement. There's obviously some things you can accomplish in your own strength, but compared to what you can do when you're connected to God, the source is Jesus. It's reminded of a story I heard a long time ago, and it was talking about when they, in the old medieval times, when they would build castles, 
that one of the number one considerations that they would give to the location for which they would build the castle was, it, was there a fresh, sustainable source of water that could sustain the castle? And I did a little research, and here's what I found. I'll just read it to you. And it says this. Just catch this. This is deep. It says, a castle well was a water well built to supply the drinking water to a castle. It was most often the most costly and time-consuming element in the building of a castle. And its construction time could even span several decades. That's how important this was. The well, as well as any available cisterns, provided a protected source of drinking water for the castle garrison in both peace and war times, and also for any civil population seeking refuge during a siege. In medieval times, catch this, this is, this is profound. In medieval times, external wells, wells outside the walls, external wells were often poisoned, usually with a decomposing body in order to force the garrison to surrender. But wells dug from within, somebody say within, the castle itself could not be poisoned from the outside during a siege. Where is your source of joy? Is it from the outside? Is it from external things? Because out here, people have a tendency, come on, it said, it would often be polluted by the enemy of that place when something dead or dying or decaying would be put in that and eventually the water would become corrupt in such a way that it could no longer sustain the inhabitants of the city. Man, the enemy, he's doing the same thing to you. He will, I mean, he will drop something dead, dying, stinking, or decaying in your source every chance he gets to poison your soul. You gotta secure the source. You gotta build your life. We sing that song, Build My Life. Come on, you gotta build your life in a place where there's a source that the enemy can't get to. Where those people, where the naysayers, where the haters, they can't get to it. The deeper the source of your joy, come on, the less likely it can be stolen, taken, or surrendered. You gotta secure the source. Come on, look at your neighbor, tell them, secure the source. Secure the source, secure the source. Look at your other neighbor who was your second choice and tell him the source is Jesus. The source is Jesus. The source is Jesus. Number four, lastly, we'll end right here. In fact, you can, be, you can go ahead and stand to your feet. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Number four, the last point is understand this, that joy can be restored. I don't know who I'm speaking to today who you, you realize I've been, man, whoo, I've been operating in a deficiency of joy. I've been operating in a deficiency of joy. And maybe you got legitimate reasons. I mean, I'm telling you, maybe you've been going through a heavy, hard season. Something that's stressful, something that's causing you to strain. I I do want to, there's something I just feel compelled to share with you right there. Do you know, do you realize that most times the things that are stressing us out are the answers to the prayers we once were praying and asking God for? I mean, I'm real, I mean, really like, Lord, bring me a spouse. Okay, here you go, you know. <laughs> Lord, we want kids and more kids. All right, here you go, you know. Lord, I want that promotion. Okay. Every season and everything, joy can be restored. The psalmist understood it. Watch what he said, Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your 
salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation to sustain me. Sustain me. I mean to help me to continue to move forward in the midst of the adversity. Before the situation changes, before the relationship is restored, before the debt is paid, whatever it is for you, remind me of the joy of your salvation. That will see me through. Sustain me. And when I think about the Lord and what he's done for me, what he's saved me from, what he's blessed me with, oh, man, I, the grace of God that's given me what I never, ever, 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 ever could have deserved, and the mercy of God, which is not giving me what I did deserve, man, I, that, I mean, I, that fills my heart with greater joy. In the midst of everything I'm going through, Lord, keep me focused on the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. One more scripture, and then I want to pray for you and with you. It's John 15, verse 11. Jesus says this, red letter words. He said, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Somebody say filled. Yes, that your joy will overflow. He said, I've told you these things so that you'll have my joy in a way that it even overflows. Well, what are those things? Well, I'm glad you asked. Back up two verses. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Woo, he mean he loves, you love me? Jesus, you love me? In the same way, he doesn't mean even as like in in the process of time. He means in the same way that the Father loved the Son, you love me? Oh, man, that's the joy of salvation. That's the joy that brings strength in every season, every trial, every circumstance. I might be going through something, but I'm not going through it alone. And even if that did take me out, I know where I'm going. That's the joy of salvation. Restore. It can be restored. You got to value it. You got to guard it. You got to protect it. You got to secure it. Man, you got to understand that even right here today, if you are dealing with a deficiency of joy, it can be restored. Come on, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. If you want more joy in your life, more of the joy of the Lord in your life, not the happiness that the world has to offer, but God's prescription for your life, the joy of knowing who you are in God and what he's done for you in a way that can never be stolen or taken from you, even on your worst day, he's still rejoicing over you. You want some of that? Come on, lift your hands before God. And Lord, I just pray over every man, woman, and young adult in this place, everyone joining us online. And I thank you, Lord, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of of the Lord is our strength. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. I pray for people who are going through problems, trials, tribulations, circumstances, Lord. Even in the midst of it, help them to begin to rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice in the Lord. 
Because the joy of the Lord is the strength that will sustain you and see you through. Come on, I just pray it boldly over every man, woman, and young person in this room in a new season, in a new way. It's not just becoming more extroverted or it's not just kind of getting louder about life. I mean, there are some of those things that might go along with it, but it's a deep abiding internal thing. That's the whole point. It's not just external happiness and and. And, 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 and giggles, it's, it's, it's a deep abiding awareness and revelation and sense of the value that you have to God in such a way that he came and sent Jesus to, to rescue you and save you and forgive you and, and beckon you and call you and invite you back into a relationship with him. Thank you, Lord, for that kind of joy. And now before we worship one more time and dismiss you about your day, man, the opportunity the most important thing we do, the opportunity to allow just one person, come on, maybe there's more today, to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to that love, to say yes to that forgiveness, to say yes to that invitation for salvation that's not dependent upon you. You don't get good to get God. You get God and God starts to help you to get good. Come on, you, you, don't, you don't earn your way towards salvation. It's a free gift in your darkest hour, in your darkest moment. Jesus said it himself. He said, I didn't come for people that are well and don't need a physician. I came for people that are sick and hurting. Right now, if you're, maybe you once knew God, loved God, served God, but maybe you've drifted from God. You're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. Maybe you've never, ever experienced what, what it feels like to have the weight of guilt and sin and shame and condemnation that the enemy tries to use to, to beat you up and keep you from serving God. Maybe you've never experienced, you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you or you're anywhere in between right now, this is your moment. Don't wait don't delay. Lift your hand high towards God. High towards God. This is just an outward response, an outward step of faith, an outward sign of something inward that God's doing in your heart. But it's important to begin to take action. It's important to begin to acknowledge what God's doing in your life. It's important to say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Even if you're joining us online, maybe you're not even with people. You're by yourself. It's powerfully important, I think, for you to even take a moment, raise your hand towards heaven. You're not responding to a preacher. You're responding to a good father who's inviting you back into a relationship with him that transcends religion. All right, if you lifted your hand, you can lower it. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray this prayer with you. We do it every week for a couple of reasons. And one is to just quickly show those people who raised their hand, responded to Jesus. Come on, there's a church family called Rev City that wants to come alongside you, encourage you, strengthen you, help you, pray with you, keep you moving forward in faith towards God. And two, we do it every week, every one of us. We don't ask people that are responding to Jesus to pray this alone. Because it reminds us that even as we're growing and maturing in our faith, everything that God could ever build in our life is built on the foundation of grace. We never graduate from grace. So come on, pray. Repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay. To make a way I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life. I give you my trust, and because of Jesus, come on, say, I will never be the same, and then rejoice with all of heaven. Heaven is celebrating and rejoicing. Thank you, Lord. Man, thank you, Lord. Hey, come on, let's worship the Lord one more time together today.